Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Doing well? It's great to see you guys. Uh, it's great to sing worship music and, and to be together when we read God's Word. We are continuing in a sermon series we're calling Departures and Arrivals. And uh, it's because this passage of Scripture that we're looking at really kind of has um, all of these references to people coming and going and staying or leaving or come later or follow. And, and so we're kind of looking at the way that um, we work through this passage of Scripture and see the way that all of that plays out. I know Bob mentioned a few weeks ago, you know, travel coming and going used to be pretty different not too long ago. Um, that's why I'm going to keep telling myself because I don't want to feel that old. But I remember going to the airport when people could come to the gate to see you off, right? And so I remember, um, I remember sometimes I, I remember getting on a plane and my, my dad taking me to the gate and waving at me as I got uh, onto the plane or being there, my friends being there when I got off a plane. I even remember when I was in high school, sometimes we would go and hang out at the airport for fun. This is true. Because <laughs> there's like stuff to do. There's like different restaurants. You can watch and see people coming and going. And so there's all these interesting conversations that happen in an airport, especially way back in the day because we didn't have cell phones. So when you got on an airplane, you were going out of contact, right? Maybe I remember I would get a, I'd get a phone card that had minutes on it, you guys, <laughs> right? And so you'd use some of your minutes to call home and be like, yeah, I'm good. Okay, see you later, you know? And, uh, and that's how we stayed in touch. It's, it's really different now, I realize. But, but it did put some emphasis on the conversations you had at your departure, right? Remember this. Don't forget that. Did you bring this? And, and in my family, there was something, even in small things, like when I was waiting to get picked up at our house, I remember there was this conversation my mother would always have with us, right? She would always say, don't forget, you represent me. <laughs> you represent your family. You represent God. Go have fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> when you have these conversations at departures, there's a little bit of that feeling, a little bit of that flavor in the passage we're going to look at today. Because Jesus has some important last-minute words for his disciples. So if you grab your Bible, we're going to be in John 14. Um, if you didn't bring your Bible, no problem. There's Bibles right in front of you in the pew, or the Scripture will be on the screen. It's great to follow along if you can. But we do have a little bit of this flavor because Jesus has told his disciples, he said, look, you guys, I'm going to be leaving you. And, and so we're setting the scene, right, because he's come into Jerusalem. This is the tail end of his earthly ministry, and he's come into Jerusalem. And remember, he came in on a, on a donkey, and people are cheering, Hosanna, welcome. You know, here, here he comes into the city, but he's kind of really started to rile things up. He's drawn the attention and, of the religious authorities, and they're coming to challenge him, right? They're constantly sending people to ask him questions or to try to trip him up. And you can fe almost feel that as the disciples are gathered on this night, the tension amongst them and around them and within them has grown. What's going to happen? Jesus has already said some hard things to them, right? He's, he's washed their feet. He's, he's told them he's their servant, but he's also asked them to love one another, and they've shared a meal together in which he said, by the way, one of you is going to betray me, and they can't figure out who it is. And then he said, oh, and the chief among you, Peter, he's going to deny me, and you are all going to abandon me. And so, in the middle of that, that moment comes this text today. Maybe one of the most influential, most common, most um, well-known passages of Scripture. Maybe top ten easy passages of Scripture that people are familiar with. 
And so we have these words here that are kind of simple but profound. They're gentle but powerful. They're, they're beautiful but just, just really easy to understand. It reminds me of the famous quote about the book of John itself that says that it is deep enough for an elephant to drown in and shallow enough for a baby to wade in. That there's something going on with these words that just have so much to share with us. As a matter of fact, I read this week that, um, that this passage we're going to look at today, a part of this passage, is referred to as one of the top five most profound philosophical utterances in all of human history. And I told Bob that this morning, and he said, well, you should prepare them to hear one of the top five sermons they've ever heard. <laughs> Monster. <laughs> Lower your expectations. Moving <laughs> around down there. Right? But this passage is important. You'll, you'll hear it. You will recognize it. So let's read together this morning in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. So what the scripture says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's pray. God, I ask that in these moments as we open your word together, that your Holy Spirit might minister to our hearts that the truth that you would um, speak to us might take root, that we might hear it, and that your personal work, the promises that you make of transformation and presence and salvation would be here in this room, uh, in our hearts today. God, we ask that expectantly in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. We're just going to work our way straight through this passage. We're just going to see what it has to say. So we're going to look at uh, a troubling present, a troubling present. We're going to look um, at a uh, prepared place, and then we're going to look at a personal path, a troubling present, a prepared place, and a personal path. Let's start with the troubling present. You know, the disciples have really good reason to be troubled. As a matter of fact, they're already troubled. There's already stuff going on. We've already mentioned it. But think about all that the disciples knew. Remember that the call to the disciples, Jesus said, follow me. That was the first thing to say, hey, come follow me. And then now they've entered a place where Jesus has just said, by the way, where I'm going, you can't follow. And so the way that their relationship started has now kind of ended or it's changing and it's ending and they're kind of thrown into confusion. These were people who had left everything. They dropped their nets. They left their family. They left their livelihood. They left tax collecting. They left the, the place that they had built for themselves, their identity, to come and follow after Jesus. And now Jesus has told them, by the way, things are changing and I'm going and you can't follow me. Oh, and by the way, one of you is going to be, betray me. And oh, by the way, the chief among you, he's going to deny me. And oh, by the way, by the time the, 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 the sun rises tomorrow morning, you will all have abandoned me. 
The shepherd is struck and the sheep scatter. And these people who had left everything to follow him are surely shattered by the news. They're disturbed. And in a few short hours, Jesus knows they're going to be even more disturbed by what's about to happen. And to them, to a people already troubled, in, in already existing troubling circumstances, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, what does that word troubled mean? What does that word troubled mean? It's actually a different word. Some of you guys know that later on, Jesus is going to say, in the world you will have trouble. It's a different trouble. Here, this trouble has to do with a stirring up. It, it's the same word um, that, that's used for the pool where the lame man is, is lying, trying to get in. It says the angels come and stir up the pool, and if people get in, they can be healed, the first person in. Same word there. It has to do with the agitating of a body of water or the shaking up of something that should be calm. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you are a storm-tossed people. Your heart, your heart, remember in the, in the scripture, the heart is like this place where your will and your thoughts and your emotions all come together to direct your actions and your feelings. And so in the center of who they are, it is troubled. The image that came to my mind is a wave pool. Has anyone ever been in a wave pool? Right? Back when I thought pools were not gross, I liked wave pools. Now I think pools are kind of gross. And then like, but remember, a wave pool kind of looks like just a pool until like a little meep goes off, an alarm goes off, and all of a sudden some mechanism triggers and it starts creating these big waves. And it's right, supposed to be fun to like ride on the waves. And I was thinking about that when Jesus says, don't, don't be troubled, you know, don't be that wave pool. And the problem is I think that maybe when I say that, you might hear, oh no, yeah, I know what that feels like to be a person in a wave pool kind of tossed around by everything that's happening in my life. And what I want to say is I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying don't be in a wave pool anymore. He's saying you are the wave pool. He's saying you are tossed up. You are agitated. You're in your deepest part. You have all of these waves going through you, these waves of sadness and these waves of perplexity and confusion. He's looking at his disciples who have great reasons to feel this way. And friends, I don't know if you know what this is like, but I do. To feel like stuff is swirling around us and the swirling around me creates a swirling within me. What, what's going on? Um, I'm, I'm, am I happy? Am I sad? <laughs> Am I confused? Does this all make sense? Oh, ask me five minutes later. It won't. Am I, am I angry? Am I, am I doing okay? I don't know. He says, you're storm-tossed. You are the wave pool. We know this mix, I think. We know what it is to be troubled. It's actually one of the reasons I absolutely love working with teenagers is because teenagers do a very poor job and they don't even try to pretend that they're not wave pools. <laughs> right? Like it's my favorite thing because you don't have to have too much of a depth of a relationship to talk to a teenager and know they are a wave pool and they know it. They know that things are stirring up inside them. They know they're not quite sure what's going on. They don't know how to handle the world, the world around them. And what's interesting is sometimes frustrating about adults is we try to pretend we're not the wave pool. And we've gotten good and we've developed really great skills of on the outside pretending, hey, I'm calm. Just come to my lazy river. And the truth is, on the inside, we are roiled up and storm-tossed. And into that comes Jesus' next words. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also 
in me. Here's his, here's his antidote. You know, I was, thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about how often someone says, don't worry about it, and I'm like, no, you should be worried about it, <laughs> right? Like, or we say, ah, it's going to all work out, and you're like, is it really, though, <laughs> right? Like, we tend to say things like, don't let your heart be troubled, but they're not really based on anything. I was thinking about, I received a text this week from a friend who was like, did you see this? And it was a link to a tweet of the uh, Ukrainian military band in full uniform, like hard hats, like the, the helmets, the flak jackets, the whole thing, standing on clearly a, a street in the middle of war, sandbags and barriers and everything piled up, and they've got their instruments out, and they're playing Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> Have you seen this? It's true. It's true. And I thought, okay, well, that's, you know, we could talk about that. But I was thinking about sometimes when we hear Don't Be Troubled, we think it's like that. As, as great as, as that, that is, um, they have no, no understanding, no ability to know what's coming next. And they have limited, limited power to affect the world around us. And so to say, don't worry, be happy in a situation like that, is to say, like, oh, I, you know, just think for the best. But here's what's completely different about this message to our troubling present. It's Jesus. Jesus is saying it. Jesus is saying it. The one through whom all has been made. The one who holds all things together by his power. The one who has come to direct all of human history to the end that would bring the most glory to his father. The one who has all the power in the whole world. And by the way, to whom, for whom nothing is uncertain. Jesus then says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. The word believe, it's a little hard there because the tense could mean you are already believing, believe in God, so I see that you're believing and so believe in me. Or it could be you need to believe, keep believing, and so believe also in me. It could could be any combination of those things. But the essence, two things that we want to focus on is that Jesus here is comparing himself to God himself. He said to believe in God is the same as to believe in me. Which means, friends, when we encounter these words in this book that are spoken by Jesus, we're encountering the the very words of God himself, the maker of the universe. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be storm-tossed any longer. And so it's to believe in God, it's to believe in Jesus himself, but it's also to keep on believing The verb there implies that this is something that we keep doing. We keep trusting. We could translate this, some versions do, into trust or into some version of faith. Keep on going. Don't give up. When you are feeling storm-tossed inside, keep trusting. Keep believing. Don't give up. You're not a band playing Don't Worry, Be Happy. This is the God of the universe saying, I've got it in your troubled present. Because now he's going to remind them of the prepared place. Now he's going to remind them of the prepared place. Notice what he says next. Look down in verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Hear Jesus' promises here? He says, I'm going to prepare a place, the implication being for us. And that he's going to come back, as sure as his departure is, his return is just as sure. Oh, and by the way, he's going to take us there to be 
with him. That place is his father's house. If you grew up like I did, you may have heard a version of this that talks about mansions. I remember being like a little kid thinking, what's my mansion in heaven going to be like? I had very like detailed things. It was definitely going to have a tube slide. <laughs> like I definitely had like a full-on playground in my heaven mansion. Um, something a little different being said here because the, the house in, in the ancient Near East was kind of like the patriarch or the father had this house. And as his family members married and came back, they would expand the house and add on rooms and add on space. So everyone lived together under this one roof that was in the family. And so whatever details we could glean from, glean from this, the most important detail is just this, friends. You were invited into the very family of God. In, in, in Jesus' Father's house, we find our Father preparing a place for us to be with him. But what's so interesting is that Jesus doesn't say, I go to prepare a place, and I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to take you back with me to that place. Did you notice he doesn't say that? Did you notice he says where he's taking us? It's different. Right, look down and see what he says. He says in verse 3, I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again, and I will take you to myself. To myself. He doesn't say, I'm going to go take you to that place. Presumably, he is in that place. But the key to understanding the Father's house, the key to understanding the secure future that allows Jesus to say, don't be troubled. I've got this under control. You can trust me, is that Jesus has a place prepared for you and I that is with him forever. Whether it's a mansion or an apartment or what, whatever it is, Jesus is saying, hey, I've got the future set. And friends, let's be honest. How many of you right now, if we sat down with a cup of coffee and we looked at each other in the eye and say, are you worried about the future? The answer would be yes. For some of us, it's really immediate, right? For some of us, we just don't know what's coming tomorrow. <laughs> we don't know kind of immediately what decisions we need to make. And for some of us, it has to do with something a lot more significant. I'm waiting to hear back from the doctor, or, or I'm not sure what's going to happen at my job, or I don't, I don't know what's next for me, and I know that I'm getting older. And all of a sudden, into that, Jesus says, trust me, I'm preparing a place, and it will be with me. But then he says something really interesting. He tags on this line, he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And you know the way to where I'm going. I think that sometimes we hear that and we think Jesus is being cryptic. Like, what do you mean? You're going to prepare a place in the Father's house and we know the way there? And, and you know, it kind of seems like this, like, is he being cagey or evasive? As a matter of fact, he's been working really hard here to try and say, I'm not hiding things from you. I'm telling you the truth. And we get to this part and we're like, what do you mean I know the way? And even Thomas himself, did you hear what Thomas is like? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Thomas is like, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? What are you even talking about? But here's what's beautiful about this, you guys. Jesus is not being cryptic here. When he says to us in his word in this moment, you know the way, he's not being like some like, like you know, like um, wizard on a mountain. <laughs> you know the way, <laughs> right? He's not doing that at all. He's saying, what have I been teaching you this whole time? Take even the Gospel of John, right, which itself is kind of organized around seven signs, seven demonstrations of the reality of Jesus' deity, of his connection to God. So seven signs. So he, he feeds the 5,000, and he heals the blind man, and he heals the lame man, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. These seven indications that he is who he claims to be. 
When he says, I'm God, and I come from the Father, and everything was made through me, here's some signs to prove it. And it's designed around these seven statements where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. And so Jesus has been saying, these guys have been walking with him for three years within which Jesus has been saying and demonstrating exactly what he's talking about. You want to know the way? You know it. What have I been showing you all along? Friends, some of us in this room, we need to hear this, right? Jesus, Jesus has been showing us the answer to our troubled storm-tossed, wave-pool hearts. He says, you know the way. So so he has this prepared place, and he says, you know how to get there. And so the get there is a personal path. We have a troubled present, and there's a prepared place for us, then we need the personal path. Look down at what he says in these famous words in verse 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me think about what he's saying thomas says lord we don't know the way think about the conversation he says you know the way to where i'm going thomas says no no we don't and jesus says yes you do because you know me i am the way think about what he doesn't say he doesn't say i have a map he doesn't say, here are the eight things. You know, think about those clickbait um, websites, the eight things you must do to get to heaven, right? <laughs> Isn't that what he's saying? He also doesn't say, oh, by the way, uh, you know, find your truth, and when you find your truth, it'll be, it'll be good. He doesn't say, by the way, um, you know, make the most perfect life for you that you can. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say, I've come to show the way. He doesn't come to say, I've teach, I'm going to teach you a philosophy or a religion that's going to help you find the way. He does not say any of that. He says, I am the way. He, the, the way, the truth and the life is embodied in a person which makes it really hard for people like us because, you guys, we like a map, not a guide. Anyone else? We like maps, not guides, because when we have a map, we're in control. Give me a a map, and I'll go at my pace, and I'll see the things that I want to see, and I'll take the road that that feels nicest to me, and instead Jesus says, no, 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 I'm, I'm your guide. And to, to know the way, the truth, and the life, and the, the place I've prepared for you, and the future that is sure, you have to know me. You have to be in a relationship. It requires real trust. I actually think that real trust is something incredibly rare in our world today. We're not used to trusting people. Especially for things that really, really matter. We're used to trusting ourselves. We're used to making calculations about risk, right? Like we're used to saying, okay, well, um, this person, like so I take, for example, when I take my car into the shop, (laughs) right? Like I know nothing about cars. There's an old stand-up joke. I don't remember who used to say it, but it's like you could take your car to the shop and they would be like tiny unicorns are punching holes in the metal. And you'd be like, okay, could you fix the unicorns, right? <laughs> you know, like I don't know anything about what's happening in my car, but I've made a calculation about who to trust. But we also know there's places not to trust, right? We also do our research. What, what does a Google review say? <laughs> do I know a car guy, right? We're used to being in control, even of things that we don't know a lot about. But for here, Jesus is saying, trust me with your ultimate destiny. 
trust me with your ultimate destiny. You are not in control. But the way to all of these things I'm talking about is in a relationship with me. And there seems to be some exclusivity here. Uncomfortably, for many, many people, Jesus says, I am the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The world, our contemporary culture, generally believes that religious choices are a private matter of personal preference. What works for you? It may not be what works for someone else, and Jesus says something completely different here. He says there's only one way to know God and to know this future that I'm securing for you, and it's through me. And it may seem tight, and it may seem intolerant, but the truth is right here. How could Jesus lie? There is only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. You know, I don't remember, if you know if you remember, but in 2010, do you remember there were 33 miners in Chile who got trapped underground? And, uh, and they were missing for weeks and weeks, and they finally located them, and they had to come up with a plan to get them out. And do you remember they drilled a hole that was about 21 inches in diameter? Think about that. 21 inches in diameter, and they created this, like, capsule thing to, like, lower down and one by one retrieve the miners out of what would be certain death. There was one way. There was one way out of that mine. Can you imagine if one of the miners said, eh, I'm a little claustrophobic. I don't know if I like this plan. I I think maybe I'll try and find my own way out. That seems as silly as us looking back to Jesus in this moment and saying, is there another way, though? Because it seems exclusive, but really it's radically inclusive because then for anyone, the way exists. Anyone who would come and trust Jesus and have a relationship with him and come to know him, then the way is empty. Anyone may get in the capsule and come up. There is, however, just one way. to know Jesus. And it's not just to know about him. There are many people in this world, maybe many people in this room, who could get a multiple choice test about who Jesus is and who God is and what it means to be saved. They could get that test right. And if faith were just a test, wouldn't that be great? But to know Jesus is so much more than to know the right answers about who he is. To know Jesus is to know him as the one who has made you, the one who loves you and has called you into relationship with himself. There's an intimacy of relationship and knowing that Jesus asks for here. Because the path is personal. And the place is being prepared. And we all have a troubled present. But don't miss something essential. There's a very important thing to be learned by looking at the context of this passage. Because the very Jesus who says, don't let your hearts be troubled, will within hours, moments be sweating drops of blood agonizing in the garden about what God has called him to. 
The very Jesus who speaks these life-altering words about the comfort that God wants to give his people, those very people will soon abandon him completely. And the very Jesus who authoritatively proclaims himself to be God and to be as trustworthy as the king of the universe himself, he will be tried, found guilty, and sentenced to death because of that very claim. The Jesus who here declares himself to be the way will hang on the cross. The one who here declares himself to be the truth will be found guilty by the lies of wicked, evil men. The one here who claims to be the life itself will within a matter of hours be a corpse in a tomb. And so how radical for us in this context comes Jesus' call. How extraordinary in this context to hear the call. Trust me. Come know me. Trust me. This isn't faith that applies. This isn't to like nothing. This isn't just some fancy words. This isn't like an irrelevant truth. Jesus knows the suffering that comes into human life. Jesus himself knows the trouble that's coming upon him. He knows the circumstances that are going to lead to his death within hours of saying these very words. And yet he can confidently look at his friends and say, you know me, trust me. Even when it seems like trust would be the most foolish thing in the world. This passage becomes real to human beings in important places. Maybe why it's one of the more famous passages of Scripture. We read this passage at hospital bedsides when people are passing. We read this passage on quiet, dark, sleepless nights of loneliness. We read this passage when we think about that slow, fearful crawl of time that's coming towards us with an uncertain future. We read this passage in the chair in the waiting room at the doctor's office. We read this passage standing by the casket of loved ones. These words and the truth therein matter. And in these words, we hear the very voice of God saying to me and to you, in the storm-tossed circumstances of our life and into our storm-tossed hearts, we hear God say, come know me and trust me. The future is certain and is in my hands. To some of you, I want to say, it is not too late to trust again. It is not too late to trust again. Whatever the stirred up trouble of your life has been, whatever uncertainty you have about the future, it is not too late to look back at this Jesus and to say, I trust you. Jesus is saying, don't any longer let your heart be troubled. Keep trusting in God. Trust in me. 
When I go to the cross and the grave and eventually back to God, I am securing your future, though it looks like something different. And I will come back. I'm not keeping secrets from you. I'm not being hidden. This is what I've been telling you all along. You know me. You know the way to life. Trust me. Friends, this is why we do what we do, right? This is why we we gather here every sermon preached, every game played, every retreat gone on, every meeting attended, all of the decisions that we make. It all boils down to this, that you would know that Jesus is trustworthy and that he is the way to the prepared place. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't persist. Though everything be stirred up around you, to be stirred up within. Trust Jesus. Trust your future to him. It is secure. Let's pray. God, I do ask that your spirit would continue to work within us. I have no doubt that there are uh, those in this room who have wondered why it's worth trusting you. That there are some that are storm-tossed inside and no one knows it. That there are some who may feel that they have wandered. But I've got to ask that now you would, through the work of your Holy Spirit, open eyes to the love that you have for us. That you would remind us that you are trustworthy. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.